And if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Hebrews and let me assure you that several hours of cutting grass outdoors and burning hay, cleaning up the fellowship barn, getting ready for spring activities, that is the only reason that I sound the way that I do. I sound worse than I feel. I think that's a true statement. I sound worse than I feel. Um, might make it hard to listen to me. The microphone man might need to boost me at times. Um, but we have much to hear this morning from God's Word. Um, we, have, we have a lot to hear from Scripture this morning. Uh, amazing tales, stories, history from God's Word. And you might remember, um, if you've been with us or if you're joining us for the first time, we are in the book of Hebrews, and we are in chapter 11, and we are seeing God's unfolding story and promise prove itself through history. The characters of Old Testament history, the peoples of Old Testament history, it is all unfolding under God's divine hand. It is orchestrated by Him, and it is all pointing to the fulfillment of His covenant promises to His covenant people. And it is glorious. And it is all going in the same direction to the same person. And that's the Lord Jesus. And this is especially beautiful this morning as several of these elements come together and along with the Lord's Supper with Resurrection Sunday on the horizon. That is what God has ultimately been orchestrating everything to point to, we believe, as a Christian church. And so this morning, it is a short passage, but to prepare for it, let me remind you that just before chapter 11 in Hebrews, just before chapter 11 in Hebrews, the author has said in chapter 10, verse 39, he said this, We are not those who shrink back and who are destroyed by lack of faith, but we are those who persevere and are saved. So we're not the ones who shrink back. We're the ones who persevere and are saved. And all of chapter 11 are stories of people who didn't shrink. They persevered. And this morning, we have two instances of people or peoples not shrinking when they could have, but persevering by faith and being saved. And it is a marvelous story, and he will only reference it briefly. We will read it during the sermon in greater detail. But for now, give your attention to his reference, Hebrews chapter 11, verses 30 and 31. By faith... The walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. And by faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. Again, let's pray for God's blessing on His Word. <clears throat> Lord, would you take these few minutes and would you overcome any of the earthly and physical limitations that would impact our ministry, would you overcome those for our good spiritually? Would you show us the Lord Jesus? Would you escort us to the table this morning that we might partake by faith in Him and be given strength to persevere? We ask this and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Wow. So this morning's sermon and, and the text that he has referenced, the author of, of Hebrews, um, it's going to sound like a, a new release movie on Netflix. It is a story of espionage, of sexual prostitutes, of war games, of blood, of sword, and of fire. And it is graphic. It is amazing how graphic these stories are. But this is God's Word, and it's what He's given us. And now the author of Hebrews is using it to remind us we come from a long line of people who've been called to persevere by faith. And so the setting for what we'll hear of Jericho and what we'll hear of Rahab, the context for it is this. It's the book of Joshua. In Joshua chapter 1, the Lord... Because of the death of Moses, Moses has died. But now the Lord commissions Joshua to become a new Moses, to replace Moses. And he commissions and charges Joshua to go forth and to conquer. To be strong and to be courageous. To know that the Lord, their God, their covenant Lord is with them. And it is time for the promises to come true. The promises of land, the promises of blessing. And so that's the context. It's one of conquest. And it's a lot of military fighting. It's a lot of bloodshed. And some of it's pretty hard for us to understand in our day. It's pretty difficult. So I have three simple points for us this morning. And the first is this. Jericho must fall. Jericho must fall. Well, why? Why would Jericho have to fall? It's because Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament, that's his personal and covenantal name that he's given his people, he's made a promise, he has a purpose, he has a plan for his people. And it is the covenant. And it involves conquest. And so because he has made a promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12... He will see that promise through. That's the first reason. The second reason is this. It's because Yahweh believes in justice. And he has said that he will punish wickedness. And the people of Jericho are a people he had said would receive just judgment. Now this is going to be hard to hear. But this is God's word. And this is how we understand the covenantal nature of our God. So listen to Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 9 to 14. When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not learn to imitate the detestable ways of the nations there. Let no one be found among you who sacrifices their son or daughter in the fire, who practices divination or sorcery, who interprets omens, engages in witchcraft, or casts spells, or who is a medium, or spiritist, or who consults the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. And because of these same detestable practices, the Lord your God will drive out those nations before you. You must be blameless before the Lord your God. The nations you will dispossess, that you will drive out, 
Listen to those who practice sorcery or divination. But as for you, the covenant people, the Lord your God has not permitted you to do so. The Lord is foretelling this is how it's going to play. This is what's going to happen. And this is who I am as your covenant Lord. You are to remove these people and take their land. Therefore, Jericho must fall. What we know about the people of Jericho, the Canaanites, is that they are described by what I just read from Deuteronomy 18. They're also described in Exodus 34. Uh, Listen to these few passages from there. And as the Lord passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet, he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and, the chil- and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Then in verse 10, Then the Lord said, I am making a covenant with you. Before all your people, I will do wonders never before, never before done in any nation in all the world. The people you live among will see how awesome is the work that I, the Lord, will do. Obey what I command you today. There it is. I will drive out before you the Amorites, Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land where you are going, or they will become a snare among you. Break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, and cut down their Asherah poles. That's all a part of the Canaanite religion that was filled with child sacrifice, sexual debauchery, prostitution, all the things that the Lord said that he detested and that would be removed from the land. So when I say all that, boy, doesn't that just sound a little harsh? Come on, I thought the Lord was gracious and compassionate, slow to anger. He is with his covenant people, with those who will submit to him and to obey his commands. But if you will not bend your knee to the Lord, then he is just and righteous to bring judgment. That's a hard message to say in our day and our age. Our day and our age does not have categories for that. But these are the categories that Scripture gives us. Jericho must fall. And it is because the Lord has made promises that he will keep. And it is because he has said he will judge wickedness and rebellion. And you know, we really shouldn't be so surprised by this. It was just Noah's ark. We just heard that the Lord purged the entire earth. We know that he brings judgment against sin. And we know that in the end of time, he promises to do the same. So though it's hard for us to hear through our cultural ears, this is who the Lord has revealed himself to be, that that judgment is real. And we're to seek to honor him and to obey him because it is real. Sexual debauchery, bestiality, child sacrifice to Moloch, 
All these things brought God's righteous judgment against these people. Well, how did that judgment come? That's why it came. How did it come? Well, it's important to understand, and this is where there are multiple texts this morning, but there is a specific way that Jericho would fall. And we're told in Joshua chapter 5 where this angel of heaven, this person of heaven identifies to Joshua that he is the captain of the Lord's army. You can go back and see this in Joshua chapter 5, verses 13 to 15. He is a mysterious figure. He is what we understand to be a theophany. He identifies as the captain of the army of the Lord. We don't know, is he an angel? Is he an angel of the Lord? Is he a pre-incarnate version of the Lord Jesus Christ? Many credible people think so. I, I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't say. I think all of that is possible and permissible. But he speaks with authority from the Lord and he says, I will fight for you. The Lord will fight for you. Therefore, you will have victory and you will have success. And so that is the context of how the walls of Jericho can fall. It is because God is at work. And then right after that introduction from the angel of the Lord, giving, let's just call it this, absurd military tactics for how to overcome Jericho. And all of this is found in Joshua chapter 6. And it just needs to be read. And I don't have a slide for it, I don't think. Which means, work with me and listen. I was going to try to retell this, but let me tell you, it is amazing how succinct these authors of old are in their storytelling. I couldn't tell it any more simply and clearly than they do. So I'll read their words. Here's the context. <clears throat> now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. And then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. And on the seventh day... March around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. And when you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army, Advance, march around the city with an armed guard going ahead of the Ark of the Lord. And when Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the Ark of the Lord's Covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the ark. All this time, the trumpets were sounding. But Joshua had commanded the army, Do not give a war cry. Do not raise your voices. Do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout. Then shout. 
So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once. Then the army returned to camp and spent the night there. Joshua got up early the next morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. And the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them, and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord while the trumpets kept sounding. So on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. They did this for six days. And on the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, Shout! For the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared because she hid the spies that we sent. But keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. And all the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord, and they must go into his treasury. And when the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. They devoted the city to the Lord, and destroyed with the sword every living thing in it, men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys. And we'll stop there for the moment. That's pretty hard to read. That's pretty hard to understand. But we remember the covenantal context of the Lord and what he had told his people to do. And the Lord, through the captain of the army of the Lord, has given them specific instruction on how they will find success. These are absurd tactics of war. This does not make sense. And yet it makes all the sense in the world. That God says it is through him, his power, his might, that his people will have success in what he calls them to do. It's not from their tactics of war. It's from their obedience to the one true God. They had to have a courage of faith to march in circles and to blow trumpets. You think about that. So here they're advancing around the walls of an enemy city, and they're literally marching in circles, blowing trumpets, because they were told to do that. It sounds absurd, but sometimes faith looks like marching in circles and blowing trumpets. In this instant, it does. Arthur Pink says this about Jericho. He says, Jericho was a frontier town and a key city. It was a powerful fortress barring Israel's ingress. Its capture was indispensable before any progress could be made by Israel in conquering and occupying the land of Canaan. However, it seemed impregnable. But the Lord's means 
for the destruction of it would create a memorable episode in the life of Israel. Carnal schemes and worldly methods are not for them. But faith, obedience, courage, and patience must always be exercised to obtain victory over their foes. So says Arthur Pink about the Old Testament church and the Israelites. And it is the same for us today. God was at work accomplishing His covenant purposes for His people. And so the same is true for us. They did not shrink when called to do something as absurd as marching very close to their enemy, around the walls of their enemy in this fortified city. How scary was that? They could have said, look, we're out of here. We're not doing this. But by faith, they did something that sounded and seemed absurd. They did not shrink in the heat of the moment. They obeyed the details of the Lord. They trusted by faith that the God who had reached this point in their history would continue to sustain them. And they did it by faith. They exercised it by faith. They overcame those fears by faith. And the Lord saved them. The Lord delivered them. You know, the, the parallel for us here, there's so many to make. And I don't know what you're doing with your life, but some of you probably feel like you're marching in circles, blowing trumpets. Maybe you're in a season of life that just, just does not make much sense to you. Maybe you're disappointed with how things are going. But you need to trust that God is at work. He is fulfilling His purpose, His plans, His promise. And just because you and I may be in a, a dark season, a confusing season, a hard season, the Scriptures remind us that our job description is the same. It's to trust that God is at work, to do what He says to do. Trust Him. Trust and obey. And we also know that the task of the church, what we're called to do, you know, it can feel like marching in circles and blowing trumpets. This foolishness of preaching... It's what the Apostle Paul calls it in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21. Listen again to what we heard this morning. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know Him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. There's a very real sense in which we have been called to parent our children, to pastor our churches, to grow our families in something that the world says is utter foolishness. It's folly. It's a waste of time. Yet we know, we believe, we trust that God is at work. And we're going to do what He's called us to do. The foolishness of preaching. The foolishness of parenting as Christians do. We are trusting that God is at work, that He's growing His church. Because God is always accomplishing His promise, His purpose, and his plan for his people. And they did not shrink. And the author of Hebrews, of Hebrews celebrates that faith. That they could have shrunk. They could have not been obedient. They could have walked away. But they endured by faith even when it was hard. Now secondly, we're introduced to the person of Rahab. 
The person of Rahab is in Joshua chapter 2. And we need to ask who she is and how she was saved and, and why she was saved. But the short of it is this. She's a pagan prostitute and a very good liar. Probably a very experienced liar. But we need to hear what is said of her. And this story sounds like it's a movie. It's, it's intense. It's filled with drama. Give your attention to Joshua chapter 2. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go and look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So this is pre the instruction of marching around Jericho. This is him feeling out who are these people and what are they like. And so the spies went and they entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. A lot of questions to be asked of the text here. None of them are answered. The king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Apparently they're keeping an eye on Rahab. All the men in the city know who Rahab is. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they've come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and had hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. And when we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. And so she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. And she said to them, Go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there for three days until they return, and then go on your way. Now the men had said to her, This oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. 
And unless you've brought your father and mother, your brothers and all of your family into your house, if any of them go outside your house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible. As for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. And so she sent them away, and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. And when they left, they went into the hills and stayed there, stayed there three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. Then the two men started back. They went down out of the hills, forded the river, and came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told him everything that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, The Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. Whew, I told you it was a lot to read today. There's nothing to do but read it. But it's God's Word. And we are told such amazing things here about the nature of our covenant Lord and what He is doing and who He includes in His grace and in His favor. This pagan prostitute, this Canaanite woman who was a prostitute, that is three strikes against you in that culture. She's a woman, she's a pagan, and she's a prostitute. But in the kingdom of God, when God shows mercy and grace and favor, there are no three strikes and you're out. Because God is at work doing something. And she demonstrates a faith. She has a profession of faith in the God of Israel. She desires to identify with Him, having heard from them what He had done. And heard from others the, the story of the exodus. And when the pressure came against her to lie, she did not shrink. She believed in the God of Israel. Now that raises a lot of moral and ethical questions, doesn't it? But she did not shrink. The police, essentially, of the city come to her, ask her the questions about the spies. And she lies, and she's good at lying, and they believe her. All kinds of questions to ask about that. This morning I will answer none. But I will say this. She didn't shrink when the heat of that moment came against her. She was a good liar. Now listen, about 20 years ago, probably 17 years ago, I went over here to Lowe's. This is a true story. I went into Lowe's to shop. And... Uh, I'm not a real good liar. I mean, don't get me wrong. I can lie like the best of people. But on this particular occasion in Lowe's, something happened to me that has never happened before. I'm about to check out with a buggy. And the manager or assistant manager came up to me and whispered in my ear as I'm in line. And she said, excuse me, we are training the cashier. And we would like for you to be a part of that training. And I said, okay, how can I help you, ma'am? And she said, we're going to put a few items in your buggy. And we want you to try to check out. And we want to see if she catches that the price codes, the price tags don't match up. And I said, I said, okay. 
And so the employees start walking by my basket and they're putting in like pipes and electric drills and the equipment just gets more and more expensive. And then all of a sudden I'm the next one to go. And this lady is about to check me out and I'm sweating bullets. Because I could just see this going wrong, right? They're going to arrest me. But here I'm supposed to play a part in a ruse. I'm supposed to play a part in a lie. And I just wanted to confess and be like, don't stop. Don't do this. I did do it. And and it's true. Um, She still works there all these years later. I know who she is. I don't know if she remembers me. Um, I've been so tempted to say, hey, do you remember about 20 years ago? And that was me. Um, But I haven't done that. Maybe I will now. In the heat of the moment, I was just ready to stop the ruse. Can't do it. Makes me nervous. Makes me sweat bullets. How about Rahab? What was she like in the heat of the moment? Where was her faith? Where was her trust? She did not shrink. She identified with the God of Israel and everything that he was about. She believed. She had a profession of faith starting in verse 9. She identifies with the God of Israel and all his benefits become connected to her in a beautiful, mysterious way. That is how God's covenant promises. What what happens in this story is what we call covenant extension. It goes out and includes more people, the unexpected people. And we find that God's promising, God's covenant is, is a mercy that is deep and wide. No one saw this outcome for Rahab, the woman, the pagan, the prostitute. But God was at work, and in the heat of the moment, her faith did not shrink. And that's why in James chapter 2, it says, by the way, of Rahab, in the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? That's in James chapter 2 in the New Testament. By faith, she identified with the God of Israel. She behaved like an Israelite. She believed like an Israelite. She did not shrink. And she did all of that by faith. So why? Why would Rahab live? Because this God of the covenant is gracious. He is merciful. He is on the move, accomplishing His purposes, folding people in. And thirdly and lastly, what we learn from all of these texts and all these stories and all these characters is that the Lord prevails. His promise, His purpose, His people, He is a covenant keeper, and He is always accomplishing His purposes. Story after story, episode after episode, Person after person, he is accomplishing his purposes then. He's accomplishing his purposes now. Therefore, says the author of Hebrews, don't shrink. Don't give up. Persevere in whatever God is calling you to do. And watch his grace and his mercy be far wider, far deeper than you could ever ask. Or imagine. That's what this is telling us. It's amazing. It's remarkable. Final word, I'll conclude with this. Rahab comes up one more time in the New Testament. 
Some of you know this. You know the beauty of it. But it's in Matthew chapter 1, the very first book of the New Testament. Listen to verse 1, and then I'll skip down to verse 5. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And then down to verse 5. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. Which is to say, in our own language, welcome to the family, Rahab, as a Gentile, as a former pagan prostitute. Welcome to the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ and his family. It's going to be a neat family reunion someday in heaven when we see all these characters and are reminded of their stories and how God was at work. And Rahab's going to be right there in the number. It's a story of God's covenant mercy. It, it always goes directions that we didn't think that it would go. And it's always more beautiful than we could ever imagine. That's the nature of our God in the Bible, Old Testament and New. So in a moment, we're going to close in song. We're going to come to the table and celebrate the covenant mercy of our Lord Jesus. But as we sing this hymn, there's a beautiful line. And just for this morning, if you'll allow me to call it, the gospel according to Rahab. It's as if you could hear Rahab herself singing this line with all this context and story in place. And it's the stanza of the hymn that says this, Why was I made to hear thy voice and enter while there's room when thousands of other Canaanites make a wretched choice and they would rather starve then come. Why would Rahab be included in the number? She did nothing to deserve this. But by faith, she trusted in the promise of who God was and that he would be a good God to her. And he has been. And he is a good God to you. He is a good God to me. Let's pray and let's sing to him and come to his table. Our Father and our God, we give you thanks for the truth of your word, the covenant mercy that it offers us, the call to confess and repent of sin, and to identify with you, your name, your work, your power, and your might. So Lord, would you now give us a spirit of unity, a remembrance of the covenant promise, the memorial meal that you've given your church, and would you strengthen our faith by it? We pray in Jesus' name, amen.